welcome to, I always lose track of which episode we're on, but welcome to this newest episode. Um, this one is with Nina Hobson, and it is the mom of Amy Hobson, well, Gordon now, but I met Nina through Amy. It was in LA one day, probably at dinner or something, I went to Amy's house a lot, but I was going through a rough time. My grandparents had just left LA, my family was across the country <clears throat> and it's just really nice to have like a mom figure at the time um she was always really nice I love Amy I love her family um Amy's always talked about her mom and what she's done in such a cool way and I had always kind of been intrigued by her story and the things that she's done and I was so happy when Amy had brought up the idea of having her mom on the pop on this podcast um so that I could only I could not only hear her story, but then also share that with other people, um, and her story is just really cool, the things that she's done is just beyond anything I could ever imagine to do, um, and if you haven't listened to her podcast, uh, it's very good, she talks about it a little bit in this one, but I listened to it this morning while I was at the gym, and it's just, it's so good, it's, it's, like things that I could never obviously imagine doing but um Nina's a really cool woman and I'm really excited to share this episode and I hope you guys enjoy it um the podcast her podcast is called Codename Siren and it's on it's definitely on Spotify and I think it's on Apple Music whatever you listen to podcasts on it's there um I think I'm on episode three or four not really sure I just kind of like continued listening to it so I don't really know what episode I'm on but um it's very good and I'm really happy to at least be this small part to be able to talk to Nina about what she does and it's a really good episode and I hope you guys enjoy it because it's a great conversation so I'm Nina Hobson and I have a podcast called Codename Siren and my background is in security investigations um Basically, I call myself a fixer. So when things go wrong and I'm somebody's last resort, then they come to me and and hopefully I can solve their problems. Um, Not always right, but sometimes I get it right. And um, then I have a non-for-profit that rescues sex trafficked children. So that's something that I'm really passionate about. It's something that needs a lot of work and a lot of funding, but you know, just making one one child or one person's life easier and better makes all that hard work worth it. Right. Um, what? So you're from Australia originally, right? England originally. England. Okay. So born born uh, in England. Um, had my family in England and then went to Australia in 2007, 2008. So I was a police officer in England for many, many years. And then I decided that I was really unhappy with the way that the British police force was going because the British police force had always, and, and I would say still has the reputation of being the best in the world. You know, we didn't carry guns. We don't even carry tasers. We carry a little bit of wood as a baton and that's about it. And we were taught taught to talk. So when I was in there and I was passionate about being a policewoman, 
what I wasn't passionate about was the corruption, the racism, the sexism, the politics of it. So I decided that I would go undercover in my own department and uh, expose that, expose it in order to make it fixable. And um, I told no one, I told a lawyer who said, do not do this under any circumstances because you are going to prison, you are breaching the Official Secrets Act, they will destroy you. And at the time I had two young children who obviously were and are my world. And I was so annoyed about what I was seeing, I, I decided to go ahead with it. So for 10 months, I built a tiny little camera into my body armor and I recorded everything that was happening internally. And one of the very sad things, which wasn't the thing that I thought was going to become the most prominent issue, was how rape victims and sexual assault victims were treated by police officers. And it was disgusting. It was disgusting. And that kind of became the focus. Um, obviously, there, there were other things, the racism, the sexism, they were, they were all part of what I was seeing, but the way that women were treated, predominantly women, not always by male police officers, but nine times out of 10 by male police officers. And so when I'd made the footage, I went to a television station and said, look, you need to be my voice. This has to be something that's available to the public. And so they made a documentary out of it. And then I was nominated for um, various awards. And then one day I was sat at home, you know, obviously I couldn't be a police officer anymore, which was something I knew would happen when I chose to do it. And that was a big decision, you know, 15 years as a cop, my dream job, loved being a cop, loved the good cops that I worked with. So I had to already have made that decision. And of course they didn't want me to stay. Um, and so I was just sat at home and I received a gold letter through the letterbox and I was like, what's this? And um, I'd been nominated or shortlisted for Woman of the Year for services to the country because of making my documentary. And that was like one of the most surreal, I mean, great moments of my life. Slightly embarrassing because I was like, uh, I didn't really do anything. I just did my job. But hey-ho, um, I got to go to that. Um, I didn't win and I was very glad I didn't win. The lady who won was just out of this world and amazing. She really deserved to be there. Um, and then here I was with this accolade of in, from England for actually making a difference to the country. And that was, that was really powerful for me. And I was like, I've achieved something. Um, and then, I left the country and went to live in Australia. So. Did you, was there um, a lot of change that happened within the that system that you knew of or noticed or they told you was going to happen? Yeah, so they changed a lot of the procedures and the policies around, predominantly around how they dealt with sex offenders and sexual assault victims. And so that was one of the reasons that the, the award was nominated for but we're talking 20 years ago um only yesterday and and i i left there thinking you know not everyone likes me oh well i wasn't there to make friends i was there to make a difference and um 
so obviously I, I got both sides of the story predominantly when the documentary came out I had letters from people all around of England saying you know fantastic you were a voice that we needed and people have to listen and they did make changes and and so I left feeling very proud of myself sadly now 20 years on um, and obviously I'm still follow what happens in the English police force um, we've gone backwards again and now I sit and feel did I actually make a difference well I think I did at the time but I, it's changed again and although still the best police in the world it's got a lot worse than when I was in there um, and you know there's a huge thing that the criminals are being allowed to join the police um, and that's fine people can change but you know there's always a fine line there's always a fine line of how you step over or does crime pay and I just think the standards have been lost and you know I only found out yesterday that you know that not everyone's issued a taser and I'm like well what do we get issued then in England well you a taser is issued, issued to someone like a gun so you're you're specialist you're trained other than that you have a side handle baton um, which is an advance because when I joined I had to wear a skirt I had to carry a handbag otherwise I got in serious trouble and my baton had to fit in my handbag so my baton was this big literally I mean what the use of it was I don't know I would throw the handbag at the person <laughs> couldn't climb over the wall and I think I was with 10 years like that you had to wear a skirt you had to have a handbag times have moved on and obviously the females are allowed to wear the same uniform and they do get a side handle baton but not everyone gets anything more than that and I I think that's a a good thing knife crimes huge in England gun crimes huge in America so yeah I think things are changing but I think that we're going backwards do you think or what are your thoughts on the police system and and here in America what from England to here what is your sort of analysis of how things well, are handled I think, um, I mean, I don't say I'm an ex-cop when I'm in America. It's sad because I'm really proud to be a cop. And my daughter doesn't tell anyone mom's an ex-cop when we're in America. And I think that says a lot. Now, I have been involved with some of the American things that are happening. My understanding is that it's lack of selection. It's lack of training. and. I mean, the, the selection process in the UK, and I can only talk when I joined, and the training was second to none. I mean, it was a five-day assessment process. It was, and at any point during that day, you, you could be knocked out, whether it was your teamwork, whether it was your writing, whether it was your fitness. And then you went to police academy where you lived for six months. And then, and it was very strict. And then once you came out of police academy, you were had somebody that was your tutor who worked with you until you were at a point where you could be on your own and then that was over a two-year period so the training was super strict you couldn't just become a traffic officer you couldn't just become a detective you all had to be the same for two years and then you could choose your area of expertise here i find because i've done background checks for police forces here and some of the background checks i'm like really you this person's really genuinely being considered for a position with the police. 
I don't even know how that's happened just reading the first page. Or, you know, what threw me was you could go to junior college to get the police training and then you could apply for different forces and you might get in Utah and you might get in LA. Um, and I was like, that it, it doesn't make any sense. There's no standardized of the selection. There's no standardized of the training. Um, and I just think that the training needs to be better. You Obviously, there's a huge issue with guns here that we don't have in the UK. Um, and I, I think that's got to, got to change. Um, but, you know, I, I do think that the training is so much better in England, although it's going downhill apparently and um it was actually commented this week that i when i did my undercover that even though some people didn't like me for doing it because the people who lost their jobs um are now actually saying well you know what she was 20 years ahead of her time she was saying that this was all going to happen and this was heading in this direction and no one really wanted to listen because what what she did was crazy um but now they're kind of going, well, actually, she was ahead of her time, which is not a great claim to fame, but it it's it proves that they're acknowledging where they're at. Right. Um, so you have a podcast. Tell us about the podcast and what you're hoping to do with it. I do. I have I have my podcast, Codename Siren, and it's a true crime podcast, and it's very it's a very real podcast so it's because I'm still working in the world that I'm talking about and I've worked in this world for 30 years um god that makes me sound really old um <laughs> to give the listener a real feel of what's real um you know true crime is huge everyone loves true crime for whatever their reasons lots of podcasts where it's just it's the hosts are obsessed about true crime or you know they want to do this or they have you know some kind of connection where for me it's this is real this my podcast is my everyday you know we talk to um, victims of crimes that we've worked on we talk to the operatives who work on it um, my kids reluctantly get to talk to me because <laughs> um, they're used when we need some you know for a specific role so I think the beauty of ours is it's it's the real it's the real person still doing the real crime still de dealing with the real effects um, I keep saying that I'm the real Olivia Benson I, I <laughs> I've done for real so right. Olivia if you're listening we need to catch up <laughs> Um, so are, is that like crimes that have happened in the area or crimes that you have been a part of like know, know more about or where where is it kind of based? It's so it, it's based wherever the crime is so obviously I've worked around the world and I've worked on lots of fun and interesting crimes so sometimes we cover those and then sometimes we cover what we're currently doing um, and we, we have a case at the moment and it's it's not here but it's um it's overseas and and uh we are we're actually covering that actual process of the investigation as we go so we've done a podcast with the victim talking about what the crime is and we've done a podcast with the team when they were on the ground and then we've got several stages with this particular one because it's a it's kind of a big big deal one um you know and then talking 
in the car because everyone's like, "You it's so cool, you sit on surveillance. It's not cool sitting on surveillance <laughs> for 16 hours and not being able to go to the toilet. That's not cool. <laughs> but it, it's just trying, I want to re- really bring the realness of what we do and the little, the little secrets that people wouldn't know we have to do. You know, it's not all kind of movie and glossy all the time. Um, but so we, I just want to make it very real and want the, the audience to feel that they're with us, that they're in the investigation with us. Um, that would be great because, you know, a lot of people want to be in an investigation or they think they do. Um, so try and give them a bit of an experience. But also I want to give people something to take away. You know, I've worked in this industry for a long time. I've worked with stalkers. So what what should you take away and, and be safe and you know home invasions um and i want people to go oh you know what that's and because i they believe me they i've worked this forever i'm not just reading it off the internet and then saying hey these are the three things you need to do when you go dating um this is what you want to do when you know if you go on a dating app this needs to be done for it to be safe and you know why I know that? Because I've been looking for a person who's been missing, who didn't do any of those things. Right. So, you know, it's try and use my real experiences to to improve somebody else's life. And also, I'm a female in a very male-dominated environment, and I want to, you know, empower people, empower women that they can also do the same. Um, it's hard work. And, you know you get knocked down but you you get back up again so yeah right to go back to earlier what was the thing that kind of got you interested in policing or or just this field in general what was like when maybe when you were younger what was it okay so i <laughs> i wanted to be a vet because i'm very always love my animals <laughs> wasn't clever enough so mum and dad were pulling their hair out and one day I watched Cagney and Lacey and you probably are too young to know who Cagney and Lacey is Shelby but <laughs> I watched Cagney and Lacey and it was a Sunday afternoon and I said to my mum that's what I'm going to do and my mum was like what What are you talking about I went I'm going to be the blonde one I'm going to be the blonde cop and she was like you like just the next day I'd applied for the police and that was my inspiration and again when I look back they were ahead of their time you know two female detectives um, one of them having a dating life one of them married and all the dramas of that um so yeah I, there's nothing I can say that's really wow that's cool no Cagney and Lacey was my pure <laughs> inspiration for joining the police force wow I mean that's yeah. interesting <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, no family had been in the police. You know, it was nothing that we, I was like, I wanted to follow in dad's footsteps. Or, no, it wasn't that. It was literally watching the TV show and going, I could do that. <laughs> and, and there I was. And that's how I got, how I became a cop. It's kind of fate in a way. Um, yeah. So you mentioned earlier about doing the undercover policing in England and having kids at the time, what effect did that have on your kids or you felt it had on your kids? Maybe they haven't told you. I mean, I think that they were very young at the time. No one knew what I was doing, no one. So when I made that decision, 
I'm, and it was tough. It was tough not telling anyone. Um, but my ex-husband, who was my husband at the time, was a cop. So, and I told him everything, but I couldn't tell him this because I didn't want him to be put in a position, you know, you're a cop, was there a conflict? So that I told obviously the lawyer and the hardest thing for me was I had to leave my kids because I was, I had to, where I was working was not where we were living anymore. Um, and I had to work at a particular station. So I had to leave the kids and um, it, that, that was very hard for me um, because every time I gave the kids a hug and I remember we had a gate and they'd both climb on the gate and mum would give them a hug over the gate and um, they, I didn't know if I'd ever see them because my, I understood that I, if I got caught while I was actually doing the undercover filming, so if I'd gone into work and they caught me, I would have gone straight to prison. So I wouldn't have got the chance to say goodbye to the kids. So every time that I did say goodbye to the kids, I cried for the whole two hour drive to where I had to work because but no one could see that, no one could understand that because then I'd have to explain why were you so sad when you left the kids, you were coming back. Um, but I actually didn't know for the whole time whether I was coming back. And then the other thing was, um, if the police knew what I was doing and I didn't know that they knew, there was a risk that, you know, things could be planted um, and then I'd suddenly get 25 years instead of the five years. And there was a, there was one morning when, so I had to do things like counter surveillance on my locker because I couldn't take my body armor home because that was against police regulations. So there I've got a camera built into my body armor. It's heavy. So if somebody picks it up, they'd have realized something was wrong. So I had to make sure I was the first in the police station. I was the last out of the police station. And I had to check that my locker hadn't been interfered with. And one morning I came in and I was like, my locker's open. And I was the first there and I'm like, that's, that's it, they know. So I had this moment of what do I do? Do I, do I run out now? And we had an exit strategy, obviously, which was run as far away as you could. <laughs> That's how good it was. <laughs> do I wait to be arrested? Cause they've got my evidence and they're gonna come in and arrest me. And then I'm not gonna see the kids. Or do I front it out and pretend that I don't, you know, that I don't know this has happened. And I had real few, wasn't very many seconds to make a decision. And of course, the thing that's going in your head is my kids, my kids, if I run now, I'm going to get to see the kids because I can get home or I can ring and say, this is what's really been happening. Um, and it was a real hard decision because I'd come so far and I'd seen so much stuff that needed to be exposed. And I was in this turmoil because obviously my kids have been and always are my priority. But for whatever reason, I stuck it out and went, okay, well, let's see. Let's see whether they've got this information on me. And they didn't. I think I had left my locker open that night in a, you know, just a tired state because I was exhausted when I was doing this because I was doing my 12 hour day and then I was recording everything piece to camera and, and legally had to write notes in diaries. So I was probably working for another three hours and getting a couple of hours sleep and then running on adrenaline. And every morning when I was driving in, I physically, just wanted to vomit um so i think the kids in they, they didn't know what was going on Mom, mommy was just going to work so that was that was a great 
you know, thing for them. It was just an everyday. They didn't, it was me and the turmoil it was causing me. Yeah. And that, does that have an effect on you still today? Kind of having to go through that alone? Um, yeah, I think it does. I think because some of the jobs that I do, I go through alone now um, because I have to. Um, we had an operative pulled out of a car at, um, and I thought they were going to die because all I could hear is, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me. Um, and that sticks with me because it's, it's on me at the end of the day. And that night, I went home to an empty house the adrenaline has been up and down all day because we're following a target and then an operative's pulled out of a car and some cars, one of the cars is hit by one of the other targets and so the adrenaline had been up and down all day and then I got home and the only thing I could hear was, he's going to kill me, he's going to kill me and that's, that's all I could hear all night and it's, it's when you're on your own, you know, and you don't download and I had to Deal with that myself because I was the boss and I was in charge of that operation so I wasn't going to go dump it on my crewmate I had to I had to be there for the rest of the team and say okay we made a mistake and no one got killed but in reality when I'm on my own I was kind of that that really could have gone very very wrong and that's on me um but I think yeah I think that when you're de dealing with some things and I'm a very open person and I'm very chatty and I very and I share things a lot and you know my kids are amazing and they come on jobs my daughter um certain jobs she won't come on certain jobs I don't discuss with her because I know that that's her limit and that she doesn't want to be involved in that and I respect that and not everyone could do a sex trafficking job you know it's it's hard and it's you see things you don't want to see and you can't unsee but I'm very fortunate that I am able to deal with those kind of situations but when you're on your own yeah it's tough it's tough to put it all in the box and then be mum when you go out and tell Harrison off that his room <laughs> mess and... <laughs> so what other than just being with your kids and not having to talk about it what is something right now or has been that take, takes your mind off of this the heavier stuff um i think that i have a good network of friends um again some friends want you to tell them everything and then you go you don't really i'm not going to <laughs> um obviously my kids are my whole world and um i'm very fortunate that i get to to share a lot of time with them um probably more than they probably want me to share with them but um so they're super close um you know i i have a beach near me uh, when things are tough i'll i'll say i'm off to the beach you know just go for a walk and and stuff like that um i've been living the dating life in la mm, that's interesting <laughs> um so yeah you know i'm i'm sociable and then sometimes i just like to sit in my in my house and and read about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. <laughs> you know, people ask me what TV shows. Oh, do you watch so and so? Do you watch so? No, I watch really bad reality TV shows because then I'm just taken away from everything um, that I that I do. And I, I, I mean, my life's a bit crazy. I was on on the phone last night to a guy. I have no idea who the guy was. I'm not allowed to know because his cover and. 
and we're talking about doing a job and where you know you just have to have faith in each other that he is this person he says he is and that he is going to do the job he says he is and he's got 15 names and 12 phone numbers and I'm like okay well welcome to (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone could really imagine the things that you go through um where do you see this what you're doing now in a couple of years or the podcast or just anything that you have right now where do you see it going or what are your goals with it the podcast I think I'm hoping will grow and that um people will see it that it's a real again going back to you know lots of crime podcasts and lots of brilliant crime podcasts um but I just hope that people understand the difference is that, that I'm living it and that hopefully my audience can live it with me. But it's not just about crime, it's about the relationships that we have. You know, the relationships you have with someone who's got to have your back. You know, the, the jokes that we have internally, we're like a family. So um, I hope that it, well, obviously I hope it becomes the biggest crime podcast that there is and that people, you know, really like it. Um, I hope that Olivia Benson comes on so that, uh, we can have a conversation but um i mean i want to consult more i i've 30 years to become an expert in this this is all i've known this is all i do and, it, and i've done everything from murders to kidnapping to money laundering to stalkers so i've, I've covered every genre of crime in every capacity um, I've been a victim of crime myself, which is something which I'm only just starting to talk about, which is interesting because I've, I've kind of shut that back. Um, so I, I want, in five years, I'd like to be the expert that people go to for for their movies, for their shows, to make it really authentic. And, you know, I am a female head in a in a very male dominated area and it's had some pitfalls and it has some bonuses um but certainly in america i found it's been a lot harder to work in certain areas because i'm female and i and it's been very blatant that's the reason i'm not going forward with with whatever the organization is so i want to continue to make things like that happen and empower and inspire other women that they can do the same and you you do get hurdles but you know you can get through them yeah yeah what are some of those things that you've had to face as a woman in this industry and how are you able to kind of combat those or move past them I think because it's a male industry um, and you know I, I don't like to call myself a PI anymore I'm not a PI I'm a fixer um, I do way more than the PI role, um, and I think that's going to help me. But I mean, literally just walking into a room and telling a group of males normally what you can do and how much you're an expert, and to just get you know the eyes rolled because you're a woman. How do you know this? And it's just trying to change that stereotype, which we have in every industry. Um, but because I'm, they don't get to see many women in in my role. Um, it's you instantly have. Well, what the fuck does she know? Well, actually, I know quite a lot because I've been around for quite a long time, um, and I'd be very useful to you. And there's a particular organisation right now that I am very useful to them. They ring me and ask me a question, but will they hire me as their consultant? No, because I'm not 
I'm not male because the person that they are now taking on is the same as me, but man, a man. Um, and so that is is something that I'm like, well, you know what? Tell me I can't do it and I'll do it twice as, as hard at you. So, um, and tenacity is what what I have. And so that's, but I wanna, if I can get a chance to make it easier for someone to follow me through the barrier, that's fantastic. And that's what I did with when I was doing, you know, the undercover copper stuff, it was like, you know, it was a show about good cops. It wasn't an anti-police show, it was a show about good cops, but how hard their lives were because of the bad cops. So let's get rid of the, that was about getting rid of the bad cops to, to continue to be a really good cop. But obviously I couldn't be anymore, um, but that's what I want to do. And I, I want I want to work in the, in the media and make the shows that everybody loves really authentic because I've done it and I've done it for real. And that's why poor Olivia Benson, she does get a hard time off me. Cause I'm like, I, she can wipe her wounds off at the end of the shoot. I can't, my wounds hey. are healed. <laughs> really did smash my shoulder. Um, and that, that I know, you know, you get into your role as an actress, but you know, that actually really did happen to me. And I did take that home and I have got that forever and I don't get to move on quite as quickly. So, uh, my goal is to to get to speak to Olivia Benson, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a question that I should have asked earlier. Do you think what you did in England would be something that could be done here in the U.S.? And if yes or no, why why or why not? Yes, yes, I do, and I think it should um, because it just gave some somebody and for me it gave a lot of police officers i was the voice that they couldn't be they'd all that you know they were moaning about this and this and this and how this was happening but no one could do it because they knew they'd lose their job they knew that they would get criticism so for me to do that was a, a, i had to have some balls to do it and i had to be prepared of the fallout and i think here just seeing from the inside now whether they whether the police would authorize it secretly that's what the english police said they would have done i don't believe them for a second but um or whether somebody did do it i think that they would be able to expose things and change things um because it once the exposure is done then you know there's got to be a consequence and a reaction to that and i would hope that the reaction to that would would for the normal person to say this isn't okay and therefore it needs to change so i i think it, i mean if it could be done here or somebody would be brave enough to do it should i say then i think it would be great because no one's perfect no organization's perfect the police aren't perfect they're not all bad either um and we only get to see the bad um i mean i've spoken a lot about tyree nichols you know and what happened there and I, you know, I, I've spoken about them being bad people um, and bad cops because they became, they used their power as cops to do what they did, but doing what they did was because they were bad people. Right. And I, I'm not, it wasn't, it wasn't a color thing. It was just bad cops and bad people and the bad cop and person can be any color. And we've seen it, we've seen it both sides. Um, so I get, I get, I do get pissed off when people are like, you know, it's because of this. No, they're bad people, you know. A good person wouldn't do that. 
and they deserve everything they get and longer. So, I mean, that was just shocking. Right. So somebody do it. I'll do it. I'll I'll go in and do it. <laughs> you should. When commissioner lets me do it, I'll go in and do it. But the chances of that are very slim because they also don't want to, they don't really want to know, do they? No. At, at the top. No. My last question. If you were to give a TED talk or write a memoir, what would be the theme? What would be the thing that you want to get across to people coming to see you or reading your memoir? I think the TED talk will be anything is possible. And because I've had a lot of um, adversity in my life, both personally and work-wise, and I've kept going. So you can you can knock me down, but I will get back up again. Um, and I would like to teach people how to do that. Um, my memoirs would probably be a complete comedy of errors. Um, you know, I work in a dark world, but it's a lot of fun and we have a lot of, of things to make it light. Um, but again, it would be about I think we you take away from the book that this is this is a, a badass woman who has because I have no consequences sometimes for what I do. I I I don't think I'm a justice warrior. That's how I describe myself. So I whatever is right I want to make right and I don't sometimes think about the consequences or the reactions, i.e. I'm taking my kids on a job because I need them to make to get this right. Um, so I, I would um, write about, you know, just being able to keep going when things get tough and inspiring. And if I can inspire one person or I can get somebody to keep going when times are tough, then that's what my message would be 